Welcome to What's Your Story podcast. I'm your host, Matt Story. On this pod, I sit down with people of color leaders to understand how they've been able to use their superpowers to make an impact on our world. And I do it one story at a time. My guest on the pod today, I would describe her as a marketing savant. She has a wide range of experience at Fortune 500 companies and a lot of emerging startups. And she's most recently the chief marketing officer at Bloomy. So with that, I'd like to welcome Asia Edmund to the show. Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to be here and I love the use of the term savant. I might start <laughs> using that. <laughs> I have to start using that to describe myself. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, we're going to get into this, but in, in the time that I've had the good fortune of seeing some of the work you're doing, there was no other word that came to mind. So okay. feel free to use that. Feel free to take <laughs> Thank that Thank you. One. <laughs> I think you, it's just like being a philosopher or something like that. There are certain words that people have to bestow upon you. You can't yes. first give yes. them. So now that you have, have, have <laughs> blessed me with that term, I can now start to use it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, well, mission, mission one accomplished. There we go. Uh, right. <laughs> but thank you for taking the time. Actually, in doing my research on you, I couldn't find a lot of previous interviews. So I feel like I feel in a special company that you've agreed to do the, do the podcast. But before we get into some of your amazing experiences, you know, working with some iconic and emerging brands, I'd love it if you could just share a story about your background and maybe give us a glimpse into what Little Asia may have been like. Sure. So I would, thinking about this, I would say that the most vivid memories I have of my childhood are probably me hiding in odd places with a book. So first of all, I'm an introvert. And most of my family members are not. And I didn't, of course, at that age, have a have any understanding of modern psychology and know anything about energy and how you need time and space away from people to recharge and all that. So when I was younger, I would just hide from them. <laughs> I would just run away. And I would find myself or they would find me in the, in the oddest of places, sometimes under the dining room table, in the bathroom, behind the door outside, like in the back of the bushes, anywhere where I thought that I could get away and they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to find me. And so during that time also, I just really loved to read. And I think it was more like I really loved to learn. And it, it, sometimes I would have a book, but it, it would really just be anything I could get my hands on. I just liked information and content even at a young age. And so I would just go somewhere and you know pick up a book or a magazine clipping or tear something out of a magazine or just papers that I found floating around the house and would just go and sit and read them. And so mm-hmm. that, like literally, if you ask any one of my family, that would probably be also their their memory of me just like hiding away reading something. <laughs> Wow. So was it, you, it sounds like you would read a wide ra- a range of, of subject matter. Was there anything you were specifically drawn to or, or even something you saw as like, huh, I, I, I want to do that when I grow up? Yeah, I would. I remember. And this is, you know, thankfully having a family that sort of they may not have really understood me that well, but they did accept me. I remember when my granddad got me a, a subscription to the National Geographic. And I'm not sure if he just thought to do that or if I stumbled across something and said, hey, can someone get me that? But for some reason, that magazine and like other types of things like that had such a profound impact on me. 
like I would just flip through and I can give you more about my background, but I come from very humble beginnings. And so my immediate environment was one thing, but being able to look into these magazines and really see that there was so much that the world had to offer, it just really deepened the level of curiosity that I already had. And it really stirred up this desire to explore and to and to start to imagine a life for myself that wasn't necessarily what I could envision uh, in my current reality. Hmm. That, that's interesting. And yeah, I would love it if you could just share a, a little bit on, you know, your community growing up and how that may have started you down a particular path or gave you an expanded view of what could be possible. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I grew up in the South Side of Chicago uh, in a very low income neighborhood. I had very young parents. They had me at the age of, I want to say, 20 and 21 years old. And so they were actually just really growing up themselves and trying to understand themselves at such a young age when they ended up having children. So there was a there was a lot that I did have to figure out for myself as I was growing up, even as my parents were also growing up themselves. And so I think that that was probably one of the reasons why I had such a thirst for knowledge and understanding is because there was a lot of learning that I also had to do. Very loving parents. And even now, they're, I still consider them to be sort of young and hip. So it's kind of fun <laughs> to have young parents. But mm-hmm. it does mean that there's a lot that you have to, you end up having to figure out on your own and even some things you end up teaching your parents when they're that young as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny because I think now, whatever the stats show, that people are having children later and, you know, not necessarily mm-hmm. having them as young as they may have done a generation or two before. But I can attest that even if you are older, you still don't know what you're doing. So, right. so it doesn't, <laughs> exactly. it, I, I don't think I don't think any extra seasoning truly helps you in this okay. parenting journey. And Good we point. all hopefully think that we are young and hip, no matter how not young and not hip we are when our when our kids tell us. But so I, I was I was also as I was doing doing my, my research, I was blown away by kind of the, the institutions that you've been a part of. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you're a graduate of Spelman in Georgia Tech and you attended Stanford yeah. for business school. So I obviously there's a certain view of those institutions, you know, from kind of what they're known for. But I, I'm curious mm-hmm. for you, what did you take away from experience in, in those arenas? Yeah, for sure. So I did a dual degree program at Spelman and Georgia Tech in Atlanta. And then some years later, I ended up going to business school for Stanford. Let me just say that on a very high level, as someone who just really loves to learn, perhaps just for the sake of learning, I do appreciate formal institutions and the fact that they do provide this structure environment for for individuals to indulge that desire to learn. And of course, we have formal institutions and there's informal ways to learn and not every way is right for everyone, for sure. But for some reason, that format really worked for me. I think just being able to, you know, get up and like go walk into a class that I've, that I've selected or perhaps in some cases was selected for you and to be able to just sit there for hours and learn something, I, I, I loved it so for, so much. And so for that reason, even going into undergrad, I put a lot of work into selecting the schools that I wanted to go to. I wanted to go somewhere that was going to provide a very rich environment and really just a diverse environment for me to be able to learn. And so that's why I ultimately, for, for instance, I chose Spelman, but then I turned around and I did this dual degree with Georgia Tech, which was this very technical and inter- in, uh, very aggressive, almost engineering environment. And I got some learning out of that. 
So I think that that diversity of experience was just really critical for me as someone who wanted to uh, build a number of different skills. And then uh, years later, I ended up going to Stanford and that experience in particular ended up having a pretty significant impact on my life, I will say. I think it probably was for two reasons. Partially, you know, obviously you go into undergrad, you're still a child, still mm -hmm. trying to understand who you are. But when I walked into Stanford, I was an adult and I was walking into the program already having done the work to, to, to gain a deeper level of self-awareness. And I really had the ability to make the most of that experience because I have a little bit more self-knowledge. Additionally, I would say that university, broadly speaking, and the business school in particular, is just an outstanding space for nurturing ideas. And I think, you know, you have different types of institutions. Some have, you know, are more about like, you know, being a, a leader in a business. Others are about being an amazing engineer. Others are about uh, artistic expression. Stanford was really about creating space for ideas and I loved it. And so of course, when I was there, I took the marketing classes and the retail classes and of course the entrepreneurship types of courses. But the bulk of my training was actually in a department that was called organizational behavior. This was a curriculum that I created that was all really about soft skills. <laughs> and so I took courses with titles like lives of consequence and spiritual and moral inquiry through literature. And then there's one that's pretty iconic called Touchy Philly, which is our interpersonal dynamics course that a lot of people know about, especially in like the coaching world. And so I went very deep into human behavior, psychology, philosophy, and these were all personal interests. And then I was able to figure out, okay, how do I link those personal topics into my professional interests? And so you'll see that for me as a marketer, a lot of that human behavior start to be what I use as sort of a foundation to a lot of the strategies that I create. Yeah, I, I think what's phenomenal about that is that it's it's almost like you were ahead of your time in understanding that in order to be a great marketer, you need to understand those behavioral nuances and tendencies and, and what goes into what makes us human versus just thinking about it through a very process oriented, you know, this is marketing one one this is the funnel, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, like it, you, it, it almost like doubles your ability to leverage those processes and tools, et cetera, because you understood the, the softer side. Exactly. And yeah, and I, and to be honest, I will say I didn't necessarily plan for that. I think I just, just to be honest, I know it's yeah. easy to look back and say, oh, I exactly, I knew exactly that I should <laughs> study these things. No, I didn't. I think I just had a personal interest in those things. And then the more I explored those, those disciplines, if you will, it was sort of like in a perfect world, I would be like a philosopher if I, if I could make a living from doing something like that, yeah, but I don't yeah. see how I could. So marketing was a, it was a, like a perfect way to actually make a living from this, these particular topics, if you will. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to pull on that thread a little bit because I, I have not taken one philosophy course in my life. So I'm by, I'm, I'm not a savant. I am not an expert, but I'm curious, like it, how do you see that linkage? How do you see those two worlds overlapping? Because what what I find interesting about most marketers is very few people either one set out to be a marketer or two like mm -hmm. went to school to be a marketer. Like it like people mm -hmm. kind of yeah. back their way into it at times. And so I'm curious exactly. from you from from being someone that really brought in kind of that philosophical lens, 
where are those connection points for you and how you see that even today in, in the work you do? Yeah, on a very high level, I would say the, the, the big link is human desire, right? And the fact that we are individuals who, you know, we, we first start off trying to survive. And then once we get our basic survival in place, we immediately switch to the desire to thrive. We want to thrive. That's sort of the next step after you are able to get your basic survival uh, means in place. And so what does that mean? It, it often means the experiences that we have or the objects that we that we purchase for ourselves. And, you know, what what are the different things that we do and people who we engage with and things that we buy in order to express ourselves and in order to feel as though we are thriving. And so when you think about marketing, what you're really doing is understanding that desire and you're figuring out there's different needs and interests and desires that people have and how can you position something in front of them that will you know satiate that and so for me that's what it's all about it's a little bit less i know we can get in the marketing world very uh salesy and 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 starting mm -hmm. to try to trick people into wanting things and all that for me it's more like helping a consumer along that discovery of figuring out how they can thrive. And that's the way that I like to look at it in a perfect world. Of course, when you're working for companies and institutions, it's not always that beautiful of a, of a lens. Sometimes you just have to, you know, do things that, that sometimes, you know, convince people to buy. But I, yeah. I like to put that lens on it because it, it makes it feel a little bit less like, oh, you know, commercialism and consumerism and, and so on. And more like we're just playing into to human desire. And this is how and this is why it's important, because it's yeah. innate to us. And these are different tools that we can do to to help a person on that journey to understanding how they can thrive. Yeah. And I, I think that that's also more a sustainable approach, because if I get a gimmick or I get a trick that I somehow figure out to make you buy the product or buy the service that I'm selling, once you get it, you realize it doesn't help you thrive or it doesn't help you get to that That's point. Right. You're, you're not coming back. So unless I'm selling a very expensive device that you only buy once in your life, that, that exactly. probably isn't, isn't a strategy that's going to work. So we've already landed in your professional journey a bit, but I, I did want to talk about, because I, I, again, looking at, at what you've been able to do, look at who you've worked with, I found it interesting to see how you've kind of had a foot in this big brand, iconic brands that many of us recognize but also have a foot in more of the emerging startup space. And you've been able to operate and be effective in both, which mm -hmm. I don't know many people that have been able to do that because the yeah. the resources you have access to, the objectives, the strategy sometimes can be very different mm -hmm. and, and disparate between those two. So I'm curious how you've been able to navigate between those and draw your skill sets out of one and make them applicable in the other. You no, know, that's a good one. And it is true. When I sort of look look back over my experience, there's a lot of different types of organizations, different mm -hmm. size of company, different categories that I've operated in. I would probably say that first and foremost, I do think that I have sort of an innate ability to thrive in different types of environments. And that's be they personal or professional environments. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is probably the case one, being very open-minded, first and foremost. I actually don't have a lot of expectations, especially when I'm walking into something new. And I like to walk into something, again, with that desire to learn and understand first before I start making assumptions. 
And then after I learn and understand and get to know and familiarize myself with whatever it is that I'm dealing with, be it an institution or a group of people or whoever, I can then say, oh, this is now how I think I can uniquely add value. And so I think that if you sort of approach institutions that way, you can, in, in fact, end up being able to do quite well in different types of organizations. I know that's a little bit different. Millennials in particular, and I'm probably Gen Z as well, have been accused of, you know, walking into, you know, established traditional organizations and immediately wanting to change things and, and, and all of that. I, I actually, that hasn't been my approach. It's, it's more like I, I come in, I want to learn. I want to figure, figure out how this place operates. And then I try to find that area where they may not be, be doing something very well or not doing something at all. And I say, oh, this is how I can plug in and, and be able to add value. So that has typically been my approach. And, it, and it's sort of how I operate personally as well outside yeah. of work. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a great tip just in, in life in general. In a, a previous pod interview I had with Alicia Zali, she shared yeah. very similar sentiment around this concept of don't worry about the promotion. Don't worry about the title. Just seek to add value, and mm-hmm. you'll and you'll you'll be all right. And and I think that that's sometimes right. we tend to lose sight of that. And you know, you I, I want a particular seat, or I want to you know work at a particular company, and and you lose sight of like how can I actually uniquely bring myself into that experience and add value. Which again, you you also added the great step of listening and learning first, mm-hmm. because right. you don't want to assume that that's what they need if you haven't spent the time to listen. Yeah, so, you really don't know how you can add value until you get in there. And actually, sometimes the organization or your boss or your team, they don't really know. I mean, they put all yeah. this work into a job description and all that, and they hire you thinking that. But they may not really know until they get to, to know you even more deep, deep, deeper than what they did in just the interview process. And what, so, I, yeah. what, I, what I love about that is it also it gives into this idea that you aren't just one thing because – what you're adding value in today may be different next week or next month or the, the next year, because we are all multi-layered and we do have these kind of complexities to us that in one meeting, I may add value here, but in a separate meeting or a separate project initiative, what have you, I can add value in a different way. So it gives you that flexibility too to not only, you know, I'm not just a growth marketer. I'm not just a, mm-hmm. you know, a brand marketer. I, I can do more than just one thing. That's right. Exactly. So, I do want to ask you something because in in your in your bio you you describe yourself as a full funnel marketer, mm-hmm. and given what we just have gone through in the last two years, and also thinking as you started out with consumer behaviors and and what have you, I'm curious if if you think the marketing funnel has adjusted or seeing a huge shift based on all of us sitting in our houses for two consecutive <laughs> years and how we should be thinking about it as marketers, no matter where you sit in an, in an mm-hmm. organization. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I, I, I describe myself as a full funnel marketer, if you will, because I have worked in roles across each phase of the funnel. So top of the funnel, middle, bottom of the funnel. So awareness, conversion, retention, so on. And so I've had the opportunity in my experience to actually work in roles where I was doing, you know, more branding and brand management and awareness driving or really focused on growth and, you know, driving conversion or a company that already had a pre-established community and really sort of trying to figure out how to drive retention and loyalty and all that. And so that, the ability to call myself, you don't just call yourself a 
a yeah. marketer. You actually have to have all these different experiences in order to, to be able to say, okay, now I really can have a, a true command of the funnel. So for that reason, I have not seen the, the, this sort of concept or structure of a marketing funnel uh, top, middle, bottle, however you structure it. It's called different things, path to purchase or consumer journey, all that. I have not necessarily seen that change as a structure or, or even a framework that you use for setting up a marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. However, what I have seen change are the, the channels and the tactics mm-hmm. that you use in order to execute against that strategy. And so that's where I see the difference. The great thing about a lot of like hardcore strategic frameworks and models is that the models themselves don't necessarily change in the structure, but the way that you use them tends to change. And so I think we're already seeing that we're using so many different types of channels. Mm -hmm. Look at TikTok, for instance, all of a sudden exploded over the last few years. So many different types of tactics that you have to use. Look at the pandemic and the fact that people's personal behaviors have changed their 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 regimens, their routines, and all that as a result of staying at home more. So then you have to adjust based on that. So you don't have to change the funnel of the of, of itself or the concept of it, but you do have to look at it again and say we may have to use uh, a different methodology for how we go about executing against this. No, that's, that's, that's a, it's a great call out. And it, it leads me into my next question. So, you know, now at Bloomy, you, you wear the hat of, of CMO and, you know, there's it, it, CMO is probably one of the few C-suite jobs that the floor is always changing under you. And you constantly <laughs> have to be, it's almost like a treadmill. You have to be keeping up to the speed of the floor changing yes. under you. So what advice would you give to, you know, existing CMOs, aspiring CMOs, anybody that even, you know, has that in their kind of glimmer of what might be a potential opportunity for them? Mm -hmm. So this is where I might disappoint because I can't say that, that, you know, several years ago, I had any foresight into thinking that I would be a CMO or even had a desire to be a CMO that and that's and that, you know honestly if that was my end goal I don't know if I would have hopped around to so many different companies and startups mm-hmm. and this and that I might have taken a more traditional trajectory to be quite honest if I thought mm-hmm. that that's what I wanted to do I I'm just sort of following curiosities and interest <laughs> to be quite mm-hmm. honest mm-hmm. so this is where I think that I may disappoint because I think a a, a lot of folks may say oh I want to be a, in the C-suite and then feel like they have to like craft this very formal path to climb up the ladder to be able to get to that point. And, and so I would almost say that first and foremost, even in the startup world, even for small companies, you know, getting to the C-suite is gonna be a difficult thing to do because that, there's not a lot of those opportunities there. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost better to craft your career in a way where you're thinking about how do I uh, nurture different interests? How do I build out certain skill, uh, certain sets of skills, expand my uh, set of skills? How do I make sure that I'm doing different types of roles where that I'm curious about? You know, and then every step of the way, you know, you could definitely try to uh, still have that upward trajectory as you take roles. So you step instead of always going lateral, you you take the next step up. But have fun with it. I had a lot of fun in my career. I was doing so many different and interesting 
things. In some cases, it, ha- it has worked against me, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. you may not be that attractive to companies who want that that more traditional trajectory. But in my case, I was just following interest and I had a, I've had a lot of fun. And it ultimately ended up being that I was able to come upon an opportunity that and, and a company that really valued my diverse background. So that so my I would just say go about it in a different in a different way and just be curious, nurture your interest, figure out how you can build up your skills more and more so that you can add more and more value as you go. That would be because the the odds of necessarily getting into C-suite or being in, in the CMO is pretty slim. But I think that if you are a unique candidate, uh, you might stumble upon a really interesting role at, at some point in your career. Well, I, I can put away any thoughts of that answer disappointing because it didn't. Um, <laughs> I, I think what you what you highlighted is this idea that you don't have to go about it a traditional path. And, and that mm-hmm. message actually one is for the person that is, you know, aspiring to do these type of things or aspiring to have a career that sees these heights. But the other message is for organizations. And as you're reviewing talent and you're reviewing people that you want to bring into your organization, having a view on, are they curious? What are Mm -hmm. their interests? And how could those interests be of value to us as opposed to we traditionally think about, well, what role did they previously hold? And is that role equitable to this role? And and right. that can sometimes not get you the, again, the person that's going to have that value that comes across in multiple ways. So I think there was exactly. there was definitely some messages in there for, for many people that may be listening. Great. <laughs> so I want to switch to the brand of Asia for a bit and, and start by my favorite question, which is, what would you say is your superpower? Ooh, that's a good one. You know... Let me answer this in this way. Uh, there's being someone who loves to read and learn and, and taps into all these different disciplines like philosophy and psychology. I really like to use different frameworks for how I describe people and how, to, how I describe myself. And one of one really great framework to use when trying to figure out strengths and weaknesses and or even just put a put some descriptors around what you may already know to be your strengths and weaknesses is the concept of archetypes. And throughout history, we've and, and throughout different disciplines, we've seen archetypes show up. So in mythology, they show up. And even in modern psychology, they show up as what we now call personality types. Hmm. And so that was a long-winded way of basically saying that I am someone who really likes the concept of personality types and using that as one of many tools that you uh, can employ to really deepen your level of self-awareness and understanding as well as, you know, people who you work with, family members, team members, and so on. And so I happen to have a personality type that is very rare and it's called INTJ if you use the Meyer-Briggs personality type system. And so you can look that up without getting too deep into that. The, the word or term that they typically use to describe INTA is called the architect. And so if you look at an architect, especially one that designs and develops buildings, you do see someone who has this really incredible ability to leverage a very broad and diverse range of skills. So this is a person who has a pretty deep aesthetic sensibility and creative abilities. 
but then they also have to have uh, very deep analytical abilities. They have to have a good command of math and formulas and all that. Then they have to turn around and also have great project management capabilities and mm -hmm. be able to manage teams of people who can who can take their vision and really execute it, right? And think about it. I live in a building right now that was built by a pretty pretty renowned architect, and I'm just amazed. Not only is it beautiful, but I'm just it's a high rise. I'm happy that it won't fall down, right? So how is it? <laughs> how yeah. is it a person? So I, if, if, I, if I were to pat myself on the back in any way, I would say that having that personality type does mean that I have this really expansive amount of skills that I'm able to tap into. And I know you mentioned earlier that all of us as individuals have different facets of ourselves and different abilities. But I will say that in a lot of cases, I think I do tend to stumble upon people who are more concentrated in a particular area that maybe they're very creative or they're very analytical or very strategic, even though they might have some other abilities. For me, it's a little bit different. I would probably say I'm equally as creative as I am strategic, as I am analytical. And at any given point, I could switch off amongst those skills. And I would say the same for my interests too, right? My interests are just as broad. So yeah. if I were to say that there was a, super, a superpower, it would be the ability to really have this breadth of skills, but not in a shallow way. It's it's also the fact that I've been able to nurture and go deep into many of these different skill sets as well. So there, there are so many things in there, and I was and I wanted to like stop you at different <laughs> times, but I couldn't because I want everyone to leave this conversation with that philosophy PhD that you just delivered, and and I just think it's it, it's phenomenal how you you took the question. And both unpacked it, but also gave <laughs> like the rationale and the the, the supporting evidence and, and what have you. So that that, that was just phenomenal. Which <laughs> I, I kinda wanna see where you're gonna take this question. So okay. you are you are an avid traveler and have been to so many places. What would you say is the best place that you've ever visited? Ooh, this is gonna be hard because I have been to, I think I lost count maybe around, I don't know, 75 countries or something wow. insane like that. But I stopped counting because it, you know, I, I think also as I got older, it was less about, oh, you know, stamps on the passport and more about experiences and, mm -hmm. and really going here to learn. And what am, what am I, again, this, this, this concept of learning and what, and being open-minded and what can I take away from this experience? So this is really hard. I, in addition to travel, I've also lived abroad for over eight years. Mm. And I would say two, so two of those years I spent in Portugal. And so right now I'm just going to say, I've been on this, this whole Portugal kick for a while uh, because I lived there for a couple, couple of years and it's such a lovely country. I'm going to select Portugal as being one of the base, best places I've ever visited and actually lived in. Okay. And I think it's because it reminds me, actually, I, I know you live in California. It reminds me of like a mini California, but all of the best thing <laughs> about, I actually should say California reminds me of Portugal because Portugal has been around, around longer, a longer. <laughs> but uh, it's a tiny little country. I don't even think it's bigger than Illinois as a, as a, as a, the state of Illinois, uh -huh. but it is um, also coastal. And so that, ha that says a lot about a culture being coastal but it's just so rich in history. And you see the history when you travel through, unlike many places, 
there's so much of it that has still been retained. And so you can actually just literally see it in the architecture and all of that. And so I'm going to put that one as being one of my best places. That Yeah, well, I'm glad you picked a place that I've actually been. So I can oh, relate. So I can I can relate. And I it, it was funny, you said art, the architecture, you mentioned being, in, you know, an architect type. So I'm not surprised that you picked that mm-hmm. because it is like, beautiful to just go around right. and see the like, just like, you know, it's not even just the buildings, like just everything in the design of the city is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. So I, I particularly spent time in Lisbon, but I'm mm-hmm. sure the, the yeah. rest of the country probably as you said, replicates that. It does, absolutely. So how would you say your family and community, you touched on this a little bit earlier, have contributed to making you this unique architect? Oh, interesting. I So first of all, I think what I appreciate is that coming from sort of what I call humble beginnings, has kept me humble in a in a in a sense mm-hmm. where i know where i come from and we were we we're just a nice simple loving family with our ups and downs and even as i've achieved so many different things i just don't i appreciate that i don't have a lot of ego there mm-hmm. and partially i think it's just because i know that I was born into a situation that I didn't choose. And many of us, our lot in life is something that we didn't choose. So we, we, we are born as we're born and we just make of it what we make of it. And so I think I'm, I'm very appreciative of that because it just, it just lets me know that so much of our path and our journeys, yes, it's some things that we can control, but it's some, so much of that has been what we cannot. And so keeping that perspective into balance is something that I really got from, from growing up. No, that's great. So I'm going to, I'm going to push on that, that hump, those humble beginnings and that very <laughs> grounded perspective by asking you, have you had, and if so, what was your mama, we made it moment? Oh boy. I might disappoint again. You're going to be, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was here. This is, it, it connects back to a little bit, probably of what I just said. Two for one, I would probably say I don't think I've had a mama we made it made it moment. And so two for one, I will say I've achieved an exceptional amount of things, especially like academically as a child. And so I think mm-hmm. there was an awareness being young, even being young that, oh, this is someone who this is a very smart child. And there was a lot of different achievements and accomplishments and recognition and all of that that I was able to 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 garner and receive even mm-hmm. as I was younger. Yeah. Uh, but because that was never the goal and it doesn't continue to be the goal, I'm not necessarily like trying to make it. So yeah. for yeah. me, and this is actually probably something that frustrates people who know me, especially my family a little bit. I a little bit downplay things too. <laughs> so that's a little bit, you know, and it, because for me, it's just like, there's just like a sense of like, oh, I'm grateful that I was able to achieve that. Let's celebrate it for a little bit. And then, you know, let's just get on with life type yeah. of thing. And so I haven't had too many of those, although I would argue that like, for instance, my mother would be like, like getting into Stanford and yeah. going to all these great institutions and getting all these great jobs. And all of that is something that my family just thinks that's, that's incredible. And I do too, but I never really glorified it. 
And yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, you strike me as the type of person, and sometimes you hear athletes talk about it's not the mountaintop, it's the journey up the mountain, that yes. you appreciate the journey in these things. You appreciate the learnings. You appreciate being able to experience the things that lead up to the achievement. And then obviously the achievement is nice, but then you're on to the next experience, the next journey, if you will. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I like to be a little careful of. And I would have advised if I, if I were to other people to be careful of is that if you're not careful, there's this constant like ebb a flow of like, okay, achieve something. Now what's next? Okay. Mm -hmm. I got this now what's next. And then that's a very, to be unsettling type of feeling where you're always chasing something next. And so what I like to do instead is I want my everyday life to be something that I love and get excited about. Like you, like you should see me in the morning. I I get up, I'm excited to get up. Why? Cause I'm going (laughs) to have like a matcha green tea. Like I get excited about these like simple pleasures. I get excited about getting up to, to, to work with Bloomy. I, it's the everyday setup of my life that really gets me excited more than some really big accomplishment yep. and then having to start over and to figure out, okay, what next am I going to do? And the, and the, and what you want to also be careful of is that you, we all go after some of these big things, but you also might not get them. You may not achieve it. You may not accomplish it. You may not obtain that goal. Yep. And so if all of your effort is in just that end goal, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm not going to achieve this. That could be pretty depressing, right? Unless yeah. the journey towards it was also pleasant. So even if you don't achieve the goal, you, you had a, a beautiful journey getting there anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, de- I definitely, whether you achieve it or whether you don't, I always think that when you get to that mountaintop, for whatever reason, it lets you see the next mountaintop. So you do fall you know, potential victim to mountain chasing. Mm-hmm. And and what I like about what, how you described enjoying the everyday is it's about the consistency because if you, you know, if you read anything, you know, whether it's habits or, you know, all the type of things, it's about being consistent that it allows you to break through versus chasing a dream or chasing objective because yeah. it, you know, when you wake up and that dream isn't as close as you thought it was, that can be very demoralizing. Or if you wake up and you already did it, what do you do the next day? It, yeah. 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 For a lot of yeah. high achievers type of people, high performance type of people. Uh, and I've actually had a, I had a period of time for about seven or eight years where I actually coached business owners and, and, and so on and different types of creative people and such. That That's the one that I've found that there there's a big low that sometimes comes after mm-hmm. that big accomplishment. And then sort of feeling like not literally not knowing what next, because so much of your identity was sort of wrapped around that one big thing that you were trying to pursue or this, you know, one big image of yourself that you were trying to build. And then you get there and then it's like the what next can be a little bit like a letdown, especially if you don't know uh, or have an idea of what to do next. So I, I agree with that. I find that that the everyday and the consistency of how you craft your day uh, and what you do during your everyday to me is more meaningful. Yep. Yep. So we're going to close out and hopefully have some fun. When they, <laughs> when they turn your life story into a movie, who would you want to play you on the big oh screen? My gosh. <laughs> oh, I'm going to, this is not going to go well. Uh, <laughs> I have no <laughs> clue who would this, who this would be. Uh, Okay, 
you know who I I like? And let me, I have to make sure I say her name right. She's a French actress. And I believe her name is Marianne Cotillard. Okay. Have you heard of her before? I, I have uh, not. You may not have. I have not. You can look her up. Uh, she's an incredible French actress that tends to play, I feel like, individuals twofold. One, these very kind of troubled women, right, in history who have accomplished these incredible things, but they also have these this very, like, sort of troubled background and how they overcame all that or did in order to accomplish all this. The reason why I would like her to play someone like me is that I'm the most... Untroubled. I would like to see if she can like channel all that energy into someone <laughs> who, <laughs> who's like not troubled. Uh-huh, I, uh-huh. It might be boring almost, right? Because I think we're fascinated with these individuals. You know, a lot of people yeah. who, especially the people who we perceive and, and and who end up getting movies made about them. I think it's partially because of all the turmoil and chaos <laughs> that yeah. they've had in their lives, in addition to the big achievements and accomplishments. What does life look like for a person like me who's just, you know, I've achieved a few things and I'm happy about it, but I'm also, it's just uh, kind of basic, right? <laughs> just <living life laughs> a simple way. So I would yeah. like, to, I would love to have a, a, an amazing actress like her who could do these complex embody characters and yeah. embody someone whose story is a, little, a bit more simple and straightforward. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, what song would play in your trailer? Ooh, let me, I have to think about that one. I almost want to pull up my Spotify list and see <laughs> what I play, but I don't want, I, would, I don't want to do that and then make it the, I, that one biased. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, also okay. I don't want songs to start playing like in the background while we're trying, yeah, yeah. While we're trying to speak. <laughs> Can I come back to that one? That one is a hard one because I actually... I would have to, I have to think on that one a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, if it makes you feel any better, your colleague, Rebecca, had a hard time with both of these questions as well. So maybe something about the good folks over at Blue Me that you can't narrow down an actress or actor and and the songs to to your movies. But one day we will see that. It's it's the narrowing down that I'm, because as you were asking these questions, there's a flood of people coming in. I'm like, no, no. No, and this is like a you don't want to get this question these questions wrong right you don't want to yeah, just throw a yeah. song out there and you're like no that's not really my song so yeah. i i rather just refrain from answering like rebecca okay. and okay. and, and come back to that there you go. <laughs> so the, the reason i do the podcast is i i just enjoy hearing people's unique stories here learn from their experiences mm-hmm. but for you if you had to pick three people they, they could be with us they could have passed to sit with and hear their firsthand story who would be your three Ooh, good one. Okay, let me let me gather my three. It might end up just being two. I'm like typing this down. Okay, I have two that pop up immediately, and we'll see if another one comes up as we as we speak. So, in the sort of ancient Roman times, around the time where was, there was that sort of great Christian uprising, and Christianity was really starting to take hold. There was actually a female philosopher who was also an astronomer and a mathematician and many other things. She was a thinker and her mm-hmm. name was Hypatia of Alexandria. Okay. And I am pretty obsessed with 
her story. There's there's actually a movie about her, sort of a Hollywood film about her called, I think it's called Agora. Okay. And it tells a little bit of her story, but I wouldn't get the bulk of her story through, through that film. I would actually pick up a few books that have been written about her. And I am just fascinated by, about, by the fact that there was this woman thinker, right? In a, in a, when we think about ancient philosophy and even modern philosophy, to be honest, so much of that is male dominated. Mm-hmm. And all of the great thinkers and all of the individuals who were responsible for all of the, the scientific revolution, even and modern psych- psychology and all of these are men. Mm-hmm. And then somehow I stumbled upon this really amazing figure who was actually a woman and who had a pretty significant contribution to philosophy and astronomy and so many different other disciplines that I happen to have a personal interest in. And so I would love to, I think that if we had more women who were credited with these, these core disciplines who have really shaped our societies, we may have a different society as a result, right? Because yeah. that brings such a different perspective. And so I would actually love to sit down with her. Unfortunately, uh, she, was, she was murdered, wow. right? For her ideas, for the yeah. fact that she had very specific set of ideas and and that wasn't acceptable at the time especially during a time where there was a lot of like religious tension and mm-hmm. so but i would love to sit down with her again being someone who if i could make a living out of it would have yep. gone down that path i think she would be a a good one another one really quickly and i'll just give you two is will durant so will durant is and i think along with his wife um i think her name was ariel durant they were individuals who have written a series of history books <laughs> to be about many different topics. But what I really love about their books is that you really get this just incredible understanding, like this simplified understanding of different types of historical topics. And it really puts into perspective a couple of things for me, it's it's the way, of course, that we the world continues to evolve, but so much does not change, right? It's almost like we go through these cycles and we, we live in a time where we think, oh, innovation and everything is changing and so much newness, when yeah. in fact, the world has turned so many times and we as, as a species have always been very innovative. And there's always been periods of time where big ideas have really rocked society in some way. And so I think that Will Durant's books are just a really great way. If, you, if you're someone who's like, ooh, history seems like it wouldn't be interesting, read his, his books. And it will, it, it's like he has this really incredible ability to make it be very interesting and always related back what's to, I mean, they've since passed on, but um, it's modern, uh, modern the books are modern enough where you can still find them to be applicable to today's time as well. So those, those are, are the two. two great ones. Yeah, those yeah, two great ones. So, <laughs> so is there anything I didn't ask that you want to share or anything you want to ask me? No, I, I would, would. I do want to ask you a question because I know that you have done, what, 70 of these, 80? You're, you're hitting up to, approaching. you're approaching, you're approaching yeah. that. And so my question for you, talking to so many different diverse individuals who come and answer these questions. Are there any big insights or as you sort of bubble up the answers that you receive, are there sort of big insights or takeaways that you sort of feel like you're starting to get from all of these different discussions you've had? 
Yeah, there's there's quite a few, and I I would say the ones that are most impactful in my day in and day out is one this concept that our what makes us unique, what makes us different, is also what makes us strong, or what what to your point earlier, what makes us bring value forward. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, and and you know, this could be something that is specific to people of color. It could be something that's specific to women or other groups that are underrepresented. You can sometimes feel like you need to fit in. And mm-hmm. what I've heard in these conversations is when when the individuals realize that what made them unique would actually help them and they turned and they and they brought it authentically, it was like that was the pivotal moment. And so that that mm-hmm. that's one that that stood out. I I also think the the thing that that's really interesting to me is just how the you know, we always talk about representation matters, but how everyone either had someone that allowed them to explore their interests or someone that mm-hmm. opened or expanded their view of certain things, which allowed them to be great. And and so having, and, and, you know, again, sometimes it's parents, sometimes it's, you know, a sponsor, sometimes it's, you know, a coach, but everyone, it seems like had someone along the way that poured into them in a way that allowed them to be uniquely themselves. And so it just, again, it, it the, the beauty of paying it forward, the beauty of helping someone get to where they're going to get, even if you can't get them all the way. It's like, I, you know, as I think of it as a marathon, as a, a former marathon runner, it's like, if I can get you from mile 18 to 20, there's gonna be somebody that takes you from 20 to 26. And, and, and so having those people in your life, I, I think is important because a lot of times we can think, oh, oh I'll go out on my own, or I, I don't need help, but all of us need help. Nobody gets to where they are by themselves. And yeah. so I, I think that's been consistent across the discussions too. Yes, absolutely. I, I One thing I'm hearing as you say that it's like a little goes a long way and mm-hmm. a little encouragement or small, small things that you may do for someone, like I mentioned earlier, of getting a subscription to a, a magazine. Yeah. You may walk away not even knowing how meaningful that was to someone, but that could have a pretty profound impact on their lives in ways that you would never even be able to assume. And so yeah. I really like this uh, both now that we are individuals who are at a certain point in our lives, um, particularly our professional lives, is that remembering that the little things even that you can do for someone on your team or people that you come across can actually end up having a pretty significant impact on them. And so just being mindful of that, I think is important too. Yeah, it's like the the ripple effect. So it's it's, Mm -hmm. to you, it's just a drop. It's just a drop in a bucket. But when it hits the when it hits someone else, like it'll have ramifications down and, and, yes. you know, whether, whether it's being a parent, whether it's to your point, I'm, I'm in a different part of my career journey. That's much more satisfying than me receiving accolades or me getting the, you know, you did a great job. Like I, I want to be able to see how I can help someone get a bit further along in what they're doing. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's key. Absolutely. Great. Awesome. Well, I'm going to let you go. But before I do, if anybody wants to follow your story, they want to connect you directly, where should I send them? Oh, sure. How about my website, which is under my first and last name, asiaetmond.com. I think that that's where I, whatever I'm doing, I end up updating that with latest projects, whatever roles I'm in, things like that. And so I think that'll be the great, the, the best place to send them. Awesome. I'll do that. And again, I appreciate you taking the time. It's been great to hear more about your story and your journey. Thank you. So as I I referenced in the conversation, Asia is a very 
hard to find information on person. Um, she she's very private in, in certain sections, and and so I one I appreciate her coming on and sharing her story. Story, but two, I just learned so much about her in that short conversation, and and I'm just appreciative of her opening up and and providing perspective into her journey. Three things that I'm going to take away from the the discussion, though, is one, the power of seeking to learn no matter the situation. So she talked a lot about how, you know, even as a young child, hiding to read books because she just wanted to consume content and information and then and then going on to institutions that really fed that curiosity for learning. And then even in her professional journey, always seeking to learn no matter how big or small the organization she was a part of. I think it's something that we can all add to our list and and try to always seek to gain information, learn new things, enjoy new content. It, it's something I think that will just continue to feed us. This, the second thing that I took away is is related to that, and we can sometimes you know get very stuck in our ways and really focus in on our strengths or focus in on the things that we like the most, but. She talked a lot about how she nurtured her variety of interest, and it helped her be able to have multiple perspectives on a lot of the different things that she's been exposed to throughout her journey. And I think that's just a reminder that we don't have to be focused on one layer of what makes us unique or focused on one particular aspect of our life, but to continue to seek ways to nurture any interest we have, whether it's something we've been interested in our whole life or something we pick up later in life, I think it's important to find ways to nurture across that variety of interests you might have. And then lastly, where we, we, we ended really talking about the importance of encouragement. And I would say usually it's much easier for the person that's giving the encouragement to do that. And the ROI on that, if you will, is going to be so much higher for the person that receives it. And it may seem like just a, you know, a comment or a text message or an email or, you know, just stopping someone to say, hey, you did a great job on this or, hey, I wanted to, you know, tell you're doing, you know, wonderful and in, in how you're exploring that or even just saying, I, I know you're interested in this. Here's a little bit more on it and just not realizing how those simple gestures can have long lasting impacts in others journeys and finding ways and, and you know, almost putting it in our regular schedule ways to give that encouragement out, I think is something that is very, it's very easy for many of us to add that into our our existing uh, plans and and what have you. And it has a immeasurable impact on, on those around us. Until next time, I encourage you as always to continue to share your story. It's so important, not only for you, but for others to hear your story. And if you have any feedback or any comments about any of the podcasts, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at all of the social channels at Matt E. Story, or you can go to my website, www.mattestory.com. 